If you have a Bible in front of you, go ahead and open to the book of Psalms. We're going to spend the rest of the summer in the book of Psalms. We're not going to do what we normally do, which is start at the beginning of a book and just work the whole way through, although we are going to start at the beginning. Um, There are a lot of Psalms, and we have just a few weeks until our fall uh, kickoff series in September. And so between now and then, we're going to We're going to look at various psalms, and today we're going to look at Psalm 1. You can uh, open to Psalm 1. If you don't have a Bible, no sweat. It will be on the screen behind me. Let's read Psalm 1 together, and then we'll pray. Psalm 1 says, How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, And he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads ruin. This is Psalm 1. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word written down, and as we looked at last week, reliably passed on to us. Thank you for your word that gives life, that teaches us the way to life. And we thank you specifically for the book of Psalms, this book of, of oftentimes passionate pleas and other times of godly wisdom, sometimes a, a just a, a pouring out of frustration or even a pouring out of worship toward you. As we journey through Psalms the rest of this summer, God, would you teach our hearts to respond to you in similar ways. Teach us to be like the psalmists. Teach us to to put words to our worship. Teach us to not be afraid to come to you with our frustrations. And as we look at Psalm 1 today here, Teach us what it means to experience the happiness of the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, in a very simplistic way, life is a choice between two paths. You you can say this, you you can define this a lot of different ways. The book of Psalms is really going to challenge us to choose between two paths, though. It's going to challenge us to, to choose between the path of walking with God in obedience to his word, walking according to his ways, or at, on the other side of that, to, to walk in the ways of the world, in the ways that, that men and women naturally live out their lives, which, believe it or not, is, is, is quite different than walking with God. And so Psalms is going to make this distinction clear at times, and Psalms is going to use words like the righteous and the wicked to differentiate between which path you are on. Obviously, the, the, the path of walking with the Lord is going to be referred to as the righteous, whereas the path of walking in the ways of the world will often be, oftentimes be branded as the wicked. Now, don't be confused. That is not to suggest that one group of people sins, should be over here, 
and that one group of people does not sin. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that all of us sin, that all of us are on equal footing before the Lord. And that that footing that we're on is a, a footing of guilt and of sinfulness. So it's not, it's not that one group of people chooses not to sin and the other people, a group of people chooses to sin. It's that all sin. It's that one group of people are made righteous through faith in God. Sometimes we think of the New Testament, righteousness comes by faith, and the Old Testament is righteousness comes by work, but that's never true. That's absolutely not true. Even in the Old Testament, the Old Testament law was given to teach people to live by faith. The the Old Testament law still relies on faith to impute or to to give righteousness to the one who observes the law. And so it's, it's not a difference between whether you are good or bad. It's a difference between whether you are righteous and wicked. And as we want to make clear in this series, as often as we can, because the Psalms very often point to the gospel, they don't, this was obviously written before Jesus's earthly ministry, and so we don't have the complete picture of the gospel, but in many, in many ways, the, the Psalms are pointing us ahead to the work of Jesus and the gospel, which tells us that we are not made righteous by our own actions or our own deeds, but we are made righteous by believing in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only one who's righteous. He came and he lived a life that was pleasing to God. He died a death for sin that that he did not deserve. And he did these things on our behalf. He did these things so that his righteousness might be gifted to us. And so as we journey through Psalms and as we look at these, these different expressions of what it means to follow God, to know God, to worship God, I, I just want to start with that. The, the difference between being on the path of walking with God and the path of walking in the ways of the world really comes down to more than just how you live your life, but it's what you believe in response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I love the way the psalm starts us out. Before we get to back into Psalms 1, though, how many of you ever read or perhaps even had to memorize, like I did in high school, Robert Frost's The Road Not Taken? Are you familiar with this a little bit? Okay, nobody. Cool. Um, ed, uh, government education's great, by the way. <laughs> but you'll know it. You'll know it when I, when I read it. It goes like this, Robert Frost's poem, The Road Not Taken. He said, two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both. And be one traveler long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other as just as fair and having perhaps the better claim because it was grassy and wanted wear. Though as for that passing there, had warned them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay, and leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day, yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. And I shall be telling this with a sigh, somewhere ages and ages hence, two roads diverged in a wood, and I, 
I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Does that sound vaguely familiar, hopefully? Okay, good. <laughs> good. Two paths, a choice, and we can only walk down one. And, and just as Robert Frost says in his poem, the one that we choose makes all the difference. That's sort of what the psalmist wants us to grasp. As we look at Psalm 1 together, I want to invite you to take out your handout. We want to fill in some blanks together as we go through this. I want to make a handful of observations uh, through this simple psalm. And the first one is this. As we, as we make this choice between walking with God or walking in the ways of the world, the psalmist wants us to know the one who walks with God is happy. The one who walks with God is happy. Happy is a curious word to find here. The Bible is not generally concerned. The Bible is not overly concerned with our happiness in this life. The Bible tends to focus more on holiness, which will lead to eternal happiness. But here, the psalmist says very clearly how happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Notice the progression of association with with those who are on the path, which I'm gonna I'm just gonna refer to this as the, the ones who are walking in the ways of the world. Notice the progression. Initially, the person walks in the advice of the wicked. As long as you are walking, it's very simple to change directions and go another way. And so there's there's perhaps an unsettledness. To, to their commitment to being on this path. They're just, you know, we're just kind of, I'm just going to go along for a little while. I'm going to see what's happening here on this path. I want to see what it's like to be with these people. But then the progression takes the next step or stand in the pathway with sinners. Now you've kind of settled in a little bit. And I'm going to hang out here. I'm not going anywhere. I think, I think that's, it's worth hanging around for a little while. But it doesn't end there. The psalmist says, or sit in the company of mockers. Now you've settled in. Now you've made a commitment to this friend group. You've made a commitment to being on this path. And the psalmist wants us to know that if, if you desire to be happy, you would do well to avoid any part of this progression, that you do well to avoid walking in the way of the wicked, that you would do well to avoid standing in the pathway with sinners, and you certainly want to avoid at all costs sitting in the company of mockers. As we make this choice of which path we're going to take, you know, there's a lot of voices, there's a lot of influences, there's a lot of people around us, people that whose opinion of us matters, people whose, who, who the relationship that we have with them is important to us, and we need to be aware of the type of influence that those people are having on us. One of my mentors used to always say, people are like buttons on an elevator. They either take you up or they take you down. And I think that's pretty true. 
the people that we hang around, the company that we keep, the, the relationships that we choose to, to invest the most in and to spend the most time in are going to have a significant influence on the way we live our lives. And the point here is simple. How happy is the one who does not invest all of his relational time, the one who does not, who does not make his closest relationships with those who are walking in the ways of the world. They're called wicked. They're called sinners. They're called mockers. Whatever label you want to put on them, they're not people who are walking according to God's word. They're not walking with God. Have you ever had relationships or even a relationship that ended and years down the road you looked back I'm not, not just romantic relationships, but friendships or, or work relationships. And you look back years down the road and you're like, oh my goodness, thank, thank God that that relationship ended. Or thank God that I got away. I didn't even realize the negative influence that they were having on me. Well, the, it's, so, it's so important that we understand the spiritual influence that the people around us have on us. If we want to be happy, as the psalmist says, or if we want to have peace, or if we want to be encouraged in our walk with Christ, then we need to choose wisely the relationships that we allow to have spiritual influence over us. One of the biggest lies that you can believe, or one of the biggest lies that you can tell yourself is that the people around you aren't having a significant influence on you. They are. They're influencing you day in and day out. No matter how strong you think you are, no matter how established in your faith you think you are, the people that you spend time with day in and day out are having an enormous impact over your spiritual health and over your walk with Christ. So the psalmist says, happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, stand in the pathway with sinners, or sit in the company of mockers. But he goes on to tell us, the next thing on the handout, he goes on to tell us the one who walks with God delights in his word. It's not enough to avoid the influence of spiritually sick people or or even, well, I don't want to say spiritually neutral because I don't think anybody's spiritually neutral. It's not enough to avoid the influence of, of, of people who aren't walking with the Lord We need to be the opposite of that. The one who walks with God not only avoids that negative spiritual influence, but delights in God's word. Verse two says, instead his delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night. He meditates on it day and night. The psalmist is telling us what it takes to be on this path. He's telling us what it takes to be happy in obeying and walking with the Lord. And of utmost importance here in Psalm 1 and all throughout the book of Psalms is going to be our relationship with God's word, our relationship with the Bible. Now, of course, you know, you understand that the psalmist when they were writing the Psalms, their Bible was predominantly the first five books of the Bible. They may have had 
some of the other Old Testament writings, but it, 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 it depending on which Psalms we're looking at and who wrote it, the majority of the Psalms were written when that was their Bible. Have you ever read the first five books of the Bible? Thank God that you have 66 books, not the first five. <coughs> not because they're not valuable, not because, but, but it is much easier, I think, if, if I had to choose between meditating on and, and chewing on and, and, and really staying in a book, if I had to choose between Leviticus and Galatians, I'd rather be in Galatians. Yet, nonetheless, the psalmists are going to speak so highly of their love for God's word. It's one of the characteristics. It's, it's one of the predominant characteristics of those who are walking with the Lord. They love his word. They love it. They, they delight in it. They find pleasure in it. We talked last week. We find refreshment in his word. Excuse me. A couple of months ago, a few months ago, uh, I joined an atheist group on Facebook just for fun, and um, and you know I don't know how Facebook algorithms work. I don't know if anybody does, but like my my social media newsfeed has changed drastically. It's for whatever reason. It's all, probably because I stop and read them. I think is what happens. But my Facebook newsfeed is full of, honestly, just blasphemy, just God-haters, just people who, who despise the Bible, who despise Christianity, who despise so much of, of what we believe. Now, just like we Christians often do with atheists, they're always putting, they're always posting the most ridiculous things and saying, this is what Christians believe. Can you believe how stupid they are? And I'm like, I know quite a few Christians. I don't know anybody that would ever say something like that. Like they, they pick these ridiculous things, and we do that too. You know, we, we like to encourage ourselves by, by pointing out the worst of the worst in, in the people that we disagree with, right? But, but I, see, <coughs> I see them, the way they handle the word of God. And I'll tell you what, a lot of these people, they know the Bible. They don't understand the Bible, they don't handle the Bible properly. They don't know how to interpret or to read the Bible, but they know how to find things that sound ridiculous. And they take those things and they just butcher the true message and the true meaning of the word of God. And, and, and so many times I've just thought, I gotta just silence this group because it's, it's, it hurts and then I realize, I'm like, that's a good thing. It's because I love the word of God that I hate to hear people abuse it, that I hate to hear people misrepresent it. That's the, that should be all of our response to people taking uh, this treasured message, this treasured word, this this revelation of God that he has given us in the 66 books of the Bible, we have to love it. We have to cherish it. We have to want to defend it and protect it. Now, fortunately, the Bible does not need defenders. I don't have to defend the Bible. God does not need me to defend him. 
When it, um, Sean Fenner and I were reading through a book on preaching, we came across this Spurgeon quote where he basically, I I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak of butchering things that are precious. I'm going to butcher Spurgeon here. Uh, but he says something like, God is like a lion. He doesn't need protected. He just needs you to let him out of the cage. We don't need to, def- we, I mean, we should defend at times, but the, my, my point is the Bible doesn't need me as a defender of it. But, but we, as those who want to walk with God, must be characterized by love for the word of God. Do you love the Bible? Now, this is, this is shaky ground to be on. As a preacher, I can always make everybody feel guilty, myself included, by saying, are you reading the Bible enough? Shouldn't you be reading the Bible more? Yes, of course. We should all be reading the Bible more. No, we're never reading the Bible. But let me ask it a different way. Do you find yourself growing in love for the word of God? Or do you, do you find any love at all in your heart for the word of God? If you do, that's one of the predominant characteristics of those who are walking with God. If you don't, then, then, then I would encourage you to make it your, your, your highest priority, perhaps, to, to get into the Word, because as you get into the Word, you will love the Word. As you read the Bible, you will love the Bible. This does not mean that Christians wake up every morning and go, oh, I just can't wait to open my Bible. Some of us will feel that way. Some of us will feel that way sometimes, most of us won't feel that way most of the time. That's normal. I, and don't think that because I'm a pastor, I have some special grace that I'm any different. Sometimes reading the Bible is work. Sometimes it's labor. Sometimes it's like, I've already read it. <laughs> There's lots of obstacles to reading the Bible. So I'm not saying that you just have, have to have this overwhelming desire to always be in the Bible. Me, personally, I've... I've had seasons that I'd say were more characteristic of that, and then I've had seasons where I've just been much more apathetic. But at the end of the day, those who are walking with God ought to be characterized by a love for his word. The one who walks with God delights in his word. For as the psalmist says, instead his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. Don't, don't be intimidated by the word meditate. That just means think about it, mull it over, apply it, be aware of it. How does the Bible speak into this situation I'm in now? That's meditation. It's just taking time to digest the word of God. Not just read it real quick. Okay, I read a chapter today. Check that box off, but like to digest it. That, that's what it means when the Bible speaks of meditating on the word of God, it's, it's keeping it active in our minds. Next, he gives us another characteristic of those who are on the path of walking with God. He says, the one who walks with God is fruitful. He's fruitful. The one who walks with God is fruitful. He's happy. He delights in God's word. 
And he is, ultimately, he is fruitful. Verse 3 says he is like a tree. How, how fruitful is he? He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. That's how fruitful he is. He's like a tree planted beside a stream. What is the advantage of a tree being planted by the stream? It has a constant supply of water. Now, we have to use our imaginations a little bit because you, we live in western Pennsylvania where everything has plenty of water. You could plant a tree on top of a rock, on top of a mountain, and it'll get enough water here because it rains. And you may not, you may not think about that a lot, but if you, were to, if you were to go out towards like the southern Midwest or if you were to go to Mexico or if you were to go to parts of Africa right now this time of year, you would see they do not have water. We live in an area of an abundance of water. That is somewhat unique. The psalmists were writing in a climate that wasn't quite like that. In fact, when I went to Israel a couple of years ago, one of the most memorable things was to go. There there are places that you can go uh, in the deserts of Israel where there are these little streams that come down through the cracks and crevices of these mountainsides. And everything around you is just sandy brown. Like, it's just, there's nothing can live. It's as dry as can be. And then there'll be this mysterious little spring, this source of water, and as it makes its way down the mountainside, there's all kinds of life and all things growing all along that path. That, I think, is what the psalmist is, is, is speaking about. He's saying that apart from, in his, in his world, in his geographic experience, apart from being planted next to a stream, trees just don't grow. They, they don't survive. They might sprout up during the rainy season, but they quickly die. He says, the one who walks with God, he's like a tree planted beside flowing streams. Bears its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. That is a, that is a big deal there. You see a tree that's not struggling to survive, that has plenty of sustenance, that is planted next to a flowing stream. That's quite an image. The psalmist says that's what it's like for the one who walks with God. Reminds me of what Jesus said when he was speaking with the woman at the well in Samaria, another dry, arid place, and she was at a well to gather water, something that was very precious to them. And he says, if you will drink of the water that I give, you will thirst no more. The one who walks with God has tapped into a constant source of life, a constant source of nourishment. But the one who does not walk with God, the one who walks in the ways of the world, the next thing you'll see on the handout, the one who walks in the ways of the world is fruitless. You see the contrast here. The one who walks with God is fruitful. The one who walks in the ways of the world is fruitless. 
verse 4 says, I'm sorry, let me give you, there's just a couple words there that, that you need to fill in, so I don't want that slide to go away too quickly. The one who walks in the ways of the world is fruitless. Verse 4 says, the wicked are not like this. So you've got the tree planted next to the stream of flowing water, who is, which is fruitful. Its leaf does not wither. It, it prospers. But the wicked are not like this. Those who walk in the way of the world, instead they are like chaff that the wind blows away. What's chaff? Picture tumbleweeds. Tumbleweeds that are completely detached from any source of life. Tumbleweeds are, are, are just blowing in the wind. They are not alive. They do not produce fruit. They do not, they do not experience life. And we got these hay bales in here. By the way, these chickens are kind of creeping me out. I don't know how many of you remember this, but a little over a year ago uh, in our Facebook group, I went and visited my granny down in Georgia and this is just a stupid story. I'll tell it real quick. Um, and I was, I was sleeping. Um, I was trying to sleep at my granny's house. And she has this older house with these, like, single-pane glass windows from, like, the 1950s or something. You know, you hear everything through them. And she had this stupid rooster that literally, like, my, my bed is here, and it was there. And it crowed all night long. It was, like, the most demonic chicken I've ever seen in my life. So these things, I think, I think Ray Ann put these up here because she likes to pick on me about chickens coming after me. They're freaking me out. Anyhow, we were carrying those. <laughs> I said all that. Let me just reel my ADD back in. We were carrying those bales of hay in the other day in preparation for all of this. And just little pieces of that were just falling off everywhere. So we put a tarp under it to get it in here. And if you pick that up and give it a little bit of shake, you'll just see all this Little hay come out. Why? Because it's dead. It's, it's cut off from its source of life. It's, it's drying up, it's withering, and it's going to be blown away by the wind. That's chaff. It's, it's the opposite of a tree that is firmly established and deeply rooted next to streams of flowing water. It's the, it's the opposite of a tree whose leaves are not withering. It is withering. It is withered. It's done withering. It can wither no more. It's dead. That's the contrast that the Word of God is making between those who walk with God and those who walk in the ways of the world. And you say, well, I don't see that big of a difference between those two groups of people. Well, that's why the Word of God is written to give us eyes to see that which is only spiritually understood and spiritually discerned and seen with spiritual eyes. God is letting us in on a secret. He's letting us know, hey, you may look around and you may, you may see people who are walking according to the ways of the world and think, they seem like they're doing okay. They seem, they seem like they're gonna be just fine. What's the big deal? What does it matter which one of these paths that they're on? The Bible is warning us, saying the difference couldn't be any greater. One is like a tree planted next to the streams of flowing water. The other is like chaff. It's dead. It's going to be blown away by the wind. A good place to go here uh, that I'm not going to take time to go, but you might want to jot this down. Uh, I had this in here in case I had time. But Matthew chapter 13 
tells the story of the sower and the seeds. And Jesus explains this parable as being about four different types of responses to the gospel. And only one of those responses grows and bears fruit. It's a good New Testament illustration of what we're talking about here in Psalm 1. But again, we don't have time. So just write down Matthew 13. You can read it on your own this week. Let's keep going on the handout. The next thing says, the one who walks in the ways of the world will not survive judgment. One of the biggest reasons for this warning, one of the biggest reasons for the word of God helping us, trying to help us see the vast difference between these two groups of people is because God sees what man does not see. And God sees that both of these two groups of people are going to have to stand in judgment before God. And although it may look as though the people on this path, living according to the ways of the world, are doing just fine, and they don't seem that much different than the people who are living on this path, God knows that at the judgment, they will not stand. It says in verse 5, Therefore the wicked will not stand up in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. It's a fearful thing to consider the fate of those who have rejected the Son of God. It's a fearful thing to consider that men and women who we care about are not on the path that leads to life. And that's exactly why this psalm is right. The psalmist is writing to warn us, to warn us to care now about their eternal fate, to care now about how they will do in the judgment before God. The one who walks in the ways of the world will not survive judgment. He may seem okay now. He will not be okay on that day. Um, just like all all of you, I'm sure are constantly considering ways that I can engage in conversation with people who have not accepted Jesus Christ and responded to the gospel. And they go back to that, that blasphemous atheist group that I'm a part of. Um, I keep thinking, like, how do I, how do I enter into the conversation? Because they're going to they're gonna string me up and kill me if I stick my head up, you know? Like, if, if I'm like, hey, guys, I'm here. I'm a Christian. I believe all of these things that you're constantly mocking, but, but I'm really trying to consider, like, how do, I, how do I get involved in conversation in a way that might help them see what these straw man arguments that they're presenting aren't really what the Bible teaches and, and try to get involved in that conversation. I'm sure you do the same thing. I'm sure you're, you're constantly thinking about coworkers or family members or friends. Man, how do I, how do I get into this conversation? How do I get? It, it's important that we do that. It's important that, that we as Christians, those who are, have responded to the gospel and received Jesus' forgiveness and his gift of righteousness. Remember, we said that it's, the difference isn't one group sins and the other group doesn't sin. The difference is one group has responded to the gospel and received the gift of righteousness that comes from Jesus. Without, without that, without having received the righteousness of Jesus Christ, cannot stand before God at the judgment. Lastly, the last thing you see on the handout is this. The one who walks with God walks in his protection. 
while the one who walks in the ways of the world is led to destruction. These last two kind of go together. That's why I wanted to jump and get to this one so we can talk about them together. The one who walks with God, he has protection. If you're on this path, you have God's protection. He is, he is with you. You are walking with him. He is leading you to life. And yet if you're on this path, you're literally being led to destruction. You're literally being led to death. Verse six, the psalm closes, for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. It doesn't matter how happy they might appear or even be temporarily. It doesn't happy how, it doesn't matter how successful they may look in terms of, the, of worldly things. It doesn't matter how intelligent they may seem in their arguments. That way leads to ruin. It leads to destruction. It leads to eternal death. And for that reason, we must continue to expose ourselves. I'm speaking to the believers, and I've been speaking primarily to believers in Christ throughout the sermon, but I do acknowledge that people come to church having not believed. People come to church for a lot of reasons. Some of you may not consider yourself a follower of Jesus. You may not walk with God. But to those who do, we have a responsibility to continue to subject ourselves to all that comes our way when we speak up and say to the people on this path, hey, I, I just want you to know something. Life is this way. And we're living in a, in a cultural shift right now. It wasn't that long ago that, that people who were on this path were somewhat viewed as good people. Those who profess to be Christians, those who even did not profess to be Christians, generally thought, oh, but they're okay people. But this cultural shift has taken place to where now these people over here have convinced themselves that this is the good path and that that's evil and wicked. To believe the Bible, to believe what, what, to believe in Jesus, to believe that Jesus is the only way of salvation has become narrow-minded, bigoted, evil, the worst thing that you can do. And so here we are, we're like, we're just trying to help you find life. And a lot of us don't like that response that we're getting. But the point that I'm trying to make is we have to endure. We have to continue to engage the people on this path. And we have to, we have to pray and we have to humbly engage with them and say, but I just want you to know, life is this way. It's over here. You're not going to find it on that path. That way leads to ruin. It leads to destruction. And many of them are going to scream, and they're going to spit at you, and they're going to say, how horrible. Who do you think you are? Why do you think you know the way to life? It's not me. I did not create it. I have, I have, little to, I have nothing to do with the goodness of this path. 
other than God has rescued me and placed me on it. And I want you to be on it too. They won't like it. But some will. Some will respond to the gospel. We have that promise that God's word does not return void and that he is constantly rescuing sinners. So many of us lived on that path. If I were to ask, if we had time to share testimonies, some of you lived on that path for decades. And you used to argue with people over here and say, look at those idiots over there. They're so stupid. And then God rescued you. That's what he does. That's what he's gonna continue to do. So we must be faithful. We must be faithful witnesses to the gospel of Jesus Christ in a world that absolutely hates him. Because this is life. 